so yeah first sunday of may uh i can't believe it it's that fast uh feels like you know we were just celebrating new year's and all of a sudden it's may um uh, but thank god for uh the four first three months thank you thank god for all the help thank god for all the blessings that he has showered each and every one of us despite um you know what's going on around the world uh, around us uh and so summer is fast approaching are you excited finally we get to yeah, this winter seems like it's so long. Um, I just want it to end. Uh, I just want to go and and start biking again, you know. Uh, but it's just it's taking forever. But but it is fast approaching, um, and we've been waiting for this season. Uh, I am anyway, uh, because uh, you know winter is just too long. But uh, the thing that I don't like about summer is the amount of bugs that uh, come out. <laughs> That's a lot of bugs. Uh, I don't know about where you live, but where we live, like, it's crazy. Like, the front of my car is covered with bugs. Uh, <laughs> it's covered with the G-nets, the, the gnats, right? Uh, we talked about this last week. <laughs> it's, there's so much bugs, and that's what, we, that's what we're, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure this coincidence or what it is, but that's what we're talking about too here at church all these bugs coming out all these tiny creatures and we talked about it last week about the, the second and third plagues we talked about the frogs and the the gnats the g-gnats uh they're all coming out uh now this morning we're going to talk about another bug uh, and it's the bug that i hate the most um uh mosquitoes i can kind of you know tolerate uh, but the flies, uh, can't do it. I just can't do it. Um, I have one or two flies at home. I, I won't sleep until they're dead. Uh, <laughs> I got to kill these flies. But in our story, there's not just two flies. So we can't just say, shoe fly, don't bother me. Um, there's millions of them. Um, so uh, in the last uh, uh, session that we had, or in the last sermon that I had, it was the gnats. Um, now is the plague of flies. Uh, and like I said, the first, uh, like the first set of three plagues that we talked about, this next set of plagues also came in a group of three. Um, flies, death of livestock, and boils. Right? They all come in a group of three, the last plague being the climax. Uh, and like the first set, uh, this set of plagues will once again begin with a warning uh, to Pharaoh. For the first two, uh, and then the last plague will just come. No warning. So these are all just the similarity, similarities between the two sets of plagues. And similar to the first set of plagues, the, the plague of flies will also be directed at an Egyptian god. Uh, remember, we talked about that. Uh, the frogs were directed at a, uh, a god frog, uh, uh, a frog god. Um, same thing with the gnats. Now the flies are the same, but which one? Which Egyptian God uh, is the, the plague of the flies directed at, uh, where there's a few possibilities, uh, according to Riken. One of them uh, is described by John J. Davis. Uh, it's connected to the ichneumon fly. Okay, the ichneumon fly. It's not really a fly, it's really a wasp. Uh, so they're saying that that's the God that this plague of flies is directed at. Um, uh, or, uh, or, you know, that ichneumon fly is an insect considered as a manifestation of the god you watch it or you watch it. Okay, if you guys research that, that's the, that's the god that God is trying to, like, get at. Okay, the god you watch it or the ichneumon fly or the wasp. Uh, another possible Egyptian god that the plague of flies was directed against is the god Beelzebub. Okay, oh, we've heard that before. Beelzebub. Um, Beelzebub uh, means the Lord of the Flies. <laughs> That's why the title is Lord of the Flies. Who's read that book, by the way? Lord of the Flies. You should have. All high school people should have read that, right? Lord of the Flies. You watch the movie even. Um, but yeah, it's, some commentaries are saying that that's the God that God is kind of targeting uh, with this um, plague of flies. And according to Riken, uh, some Egyptians worship Beelzebub as their protector, as their guardian. Um, he even comments that since his role uh, was to protect Beelzebub, his role was to protect their land from swarms of flies and other natural disasters, 
Beelzebub functioned as a sort of insurance policy. So for the, for the Egyptians, the Lord of the Flies is like an insurance policy from plagues. That's ironic, <laughs> right? Because the plague that came in are flies. Don't you find that ironic? Like, this is our insurance from flies. And then all of a sudden, woof, the, the land was filled with flies. That's what God is trying to do ultimately. Right? He's trying to show up all these fake gods that Egypt had. So he sent swarms of flies to cover the land of Egypt. It is God's way of defeating Beelzebub and showing Pharaoh and the Egyptians who the real God is. Right? Who the real God is. Um, so the second set of plagues uh, is also where God separates his people from the Egyptians. I said this last week as well. Um, part of the three plagues, the, the blood, the, what's the, what's the second one? The frogs and the gnats. It kind of affected some Israelites. But this set of three plagues, God separates his people from the Egyptians uh, so that the plagues will only affect Pharaoh and the Egyptians and not the Israelites. Check out again Exodus 8, 23 to 24. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. Came great swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. But not, not Goshen. He separated his people. Now I don't have to tell you what, how that applies to us. So the picture here is the whole of Egypt, black, full of flies. Goshen, clean. Right? As people of God, we're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be distinct. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole sermon in and of itself, but we're not going to get into it. But that's what it's pointing to here. That's what God is trying to start off here, that his people will be distinct from others. Uh, and that's what we should be. That's what uh, Christians should be aiming for a separation, being set apart from the world. And um, now we saw, if you can remember, we saw how Pharaoh reacted when the gnats invaded Egypt and his comfort was taken away from him. Uh, now Pharaoh became desperate, uh, if you can remember, and asked Moses to plead with God for him. This time is the same thing, but it's different. Uh, it's a different insect, uh, but the situation is the same. Uh, Pharaoh, being attacked by feeling attacked by these flies, once again became desperate and asked Moses to plead with God for him. And, and again, imagine millions of flies covering the whole land of Egypt. And these flies are not the ordinary house flies that we're used to, that we see during the summer. Okay? According to LifeScience.com, site the plague of flies consisted of a fly called a stable fly have you ever seen one they usually see these flies they look like normal flies okay that's what it looks like that's what a stable fly looks like uh, the stable fly is also called a barn fly or a biting house fly or a dog fly uh, or sometimes the power mower fly. <laughs> oh, power mower is that that cuts your grass. This is what these things do. Um, these flies they bite. According to Wikipedia, these flies are unlike most flies in that they have sharp mouths. So they bite and suck blood from whoever they're on. So that's what's happening to the Egyptians. It's not just that it's just on them. Okay, it's biting them, sucking their blood as well as their animals. So when you see a fly, thank God. <laughs> when you see a regular fly now, thank God. It's not one of these barn flies, one of these stable flies. It looks like a common fly, but an adult, one of these stable flies can measure up to six to eight millimeters in length. It's like this. So I don't know, they, we have biting flies too, right? They're the black flies, uh, and they're bigger. Um, I think they kind of look like that, uh, these stable 
flies. Uh, and again, unlike the common house flies, these flies bite. Uh, according to, again, Wikipedia, stable flies are abundant in and around where cattle are kept. Okay? In fact, these flies lay their eggs in the rotting manure of the cattle and or poultry. So if there's cattle, chicken anywhere, and there's poop, there's going to be stable flies. That's where they, they land and that's where they plant or lay their eggs. And those eggs come out of the manure and they start flying on your food, starts flying on, all right? <laughs> I don't know, I hate flies. Uh, Wilma can, uh, Wilma, remember? Remember? Uh, so, and these flies not only uh, bite and suck the blood of the animals, they also carry a lot of germs, because they're coming from manure. Uh, they also carry a lot of germs, and some scientists are, are saying that uh, uh, this explains how the next two plagues happened. First of all, they're saying that, um, science, this is, I'm talking about scientists, okay? Um, they're saying that after the frogs died off and the gnats came, flies also came because there's dead frogs. Okay? These are the flies that came with the dead frogs. And because these flies bite and suck blood, these, these flies bit and suck the blood of the cattle that are about to die in the next plague. And then because they bit humans as well, they infected the humans with boils because boils usually come from insect bites. And that's how the boils came about. Um, it, it's, it sounds legit, uh, but the problem with science is that they don't attribute any of this to God's judgment. <laughs> right? We believe that this is God's judgment. I, I, I believe that science is proving that it's real, that it's true. It actually happened. The problem with science is, is that they don't believe that. And they think it's all a coincidence. They think that the blood turning into red, uh, blood, uh, they didn't really turn into blood. It just turned red because of some volcanic eruption. Uh, the gnats didn't just, you know, appear from anywhere. The frogs didn't just appear from anywhere. There's, there's scientific explanations for this. But for the fly, this is what they're saying. After the frogs came, flies came. Uh, dead frogs, flies, flies bit humans and animals, next two plagues. Um, Again, um, that's what happened. I, I mean, again, we believe that it is God's judgment, but science uh, proves it that it actually happened. Um, so imagine being bitten by these flies, right? And having that wound infected with the bacteria from the rotting manure. Uh, Wiki states that the cattle that were bitten by these flies were known to become anemic and have slower milk production. They get sick, right? Horses bitten by these flies have been infected with uh, brucellosis, also known as Malta or Mediterranean fever, equine infectious anemia, also known as swamp fever, which is similar to the HIV virus in the way it spreads. So that's how fast these things, the, the bacteria that these flies carry, spe uh, spreads in animals. Uh, it's also called the African horse sickness. Now, as far as uh, the plague of boils is concerned, being bitten by one of these flies could infect a person with a bacteria that causes boils and carbuncles to form. Okay. According to the Mayo Clinic, boils can occur anywhere on a person's skin, but mainly on the face, the back of the neck, thighs, and your, your buttocks. <laughs> Anybody had a boil? Have you experienced having a boiling? Back of the neck. Remember those? In the back of the neck. I've seen people with boils in the back of the neck, like this big. In your butt, on your butt, not in your butt, but on your butt. <laughs> I know someone who had a boil in his butt, but <laughs> not, not on. Uh, it happens on your face. Boils come out of your uh, face. Uh, so mostly uh, the boils come out uh, on, on areas that have hair uh, and most likely to sweat or experience friction. So obviously I'm not going to get a boil on my head. Uh, uh, see, we're thankful for that. Uh, <laughs> some of you probably got boils on, your, on the side of your head. Not, not me. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> 
But that's what's happening here, right? Uh, boils usually have the appearance of a red bump that starts out small and can grow up to more than two inches. And a developed boil usually is filled with pus. When the boil is filled, the tip turns to yellowish white and eventually ruptures to allow the pus to drain out. In Tagalog, what? Nana. Nagnanaknak mo yung ano mo, pigsa mo. So those are boils. What about carbuncles? Who knows what a carbuncle is? I know our doctors probably know. Huh? Carbuncles are a cluster of boils that form a connected area of infection. So not just one boil, a bunch of boils. They're connected uh, in an area of infection. Compared to regular boils, carbuncles cause a deeper, more severe infection and it will almost always leave a scar. That's why a lot of people with the carbuncles, they have like a, a hole on their, in their face. Uh, after the carbuncle is taken away. Uh, people who has a carbuncle will feel sick and will often have fevers and chills. Um, and again, these uh, last two plagues could be traced back to the plague of the flies. So unlike the first plague, this next set of plagues can be linked together where the first plague could be the cause, um, where the first plague could be the cause of the second and the third. So now, Imagine if you're Pharaoh and your beautiful land is all of a sudden covered with flies. And by, oh, by the way, one more thing. Notice that these flies just came out of nowhere. First three plagues, the water turned into blood. Then from the water came out frogs. And from the dust of the earth came out gnats. These flies just appeared. <laughs> right? How would you feel if your land, as beautiful as Egypt, is covered with flies? How would you respond? Uh, human nature dictates that as, a human, as human beings, our response to anything that poses a threat to our existence is that of self-preservation. All of us do that. That's why you flinch when somebody tries to hit you. They haven't even hit you yet, but you, your eyes closed and you brace right because that's our response to anything that poses a threat to our existence this is fundamental tendency and this fundamental tendency to maximize our chances of survival will drive a person to do pretty much anything that will ultimately save his or her life right have you ever watched uh, uh, bear grillis he's a survival guy right so in order to survive in the desert, this guy did some crazy stuff. He drank his own pee. He squeezed out a, a manure of a camel to drink the water from the manure. You will do anything to survive. That's true, right? Some people lie. Some people kill in order to survive. What did Pharaoh do? Check it out. Uh, verse 8. <laughs> How did Pharaoh respond to this thing that is just swarms of flies that are, is, is uh, a threat to his life? Not just his life, but his country. How did Pharaoh respond? Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God. But listen, look, where? Within the land. So Pharaoh said, or sorry, just 25, go sacrifice to your God within the land what was the request of moses let my people go three days out so we can sacrifice to god in the wilderness but pharaoh didn't no he kind of he kind of said yes but it's not a full yes <laughs> yeah you can go sacrifice but you can sacrifice within the land uh, so we, even uh, with millions of flies covering him, Pharaoh still had the presence of mind to negotiate with Moses. In that, he still did not want to give in to the demands of Moses to let the people of God go. Let, read it again, uh, 828. 
So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness only. Must not go very far. So Moses said, no, we can't sacrifice here because why? There's going to be a riot because the, the Egyptians, they worship animals. And then the Israelites sacrificed animals. So when the, when the Egyptians see that, it says in the, script, it says in the verses that they're going to stone them. There's going to be a riot. So that's why we have to go out. So Pharaoh was saying, okay, okay, fine, go out. But don't go too far. <laughs> so they're still, he's still trying to negotiate. Uh, I mean, if I was Pharaoh, after seeing the first three plagues and now suffering through the fourth, I would be thinking, it's bad to go against the God of the Israelites. I can't win. But he still continued to challenge God, it's like a child. You tell, go brush your teeth. Okay, five more minutes. You ever had a kid like that? Okay, five more minutes. Oh, time to go home from their uh, playmate's house. Okay, ten more minutes. All right, stop playing video games. Okay, ten more minutes. That's what Pharaoh's doing. He's trying to bargain. He's trying to God, get to God to compromise. Um, but again, what happened? After God... Took out the flies, sent the swarms away. Pharaoh, after getting a respite, remember what a respite is? A break, a pause from the judgment. After getting a respite from the flies, Pharaoh hardened his heart again and did not let the people of Israel go 30 to 32. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed. This time, the Lord actually removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. 32, 31, or sorry, 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let his people go. I don't have to remind you of this, but sometimes that's, that's us, right? Lord, just take this one thing away from me. Take this, you know, this illness. Just give me a job. I will do whatever you ask. God responds, and what do you do? Just life as usual. Go back to the same old, okay, everything's cool again. Everything's okay again. I don't have to go to church again. I don't have to do this again. I don't have to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray again. Just want to remind you of that. That's over and over again. That's what's happening here, right? Pharaoh is saying, you know, because of the hardships, take this away from me. When it goes away, he goes back on his word, right? So now, oh, lots of time. What can we learn from this plague? Uh, three things. And these three things have uh, the key words that all start with the letter C, Okay. Three things we can learn from the plague of flies uh, with the keywords that all begin with the letter C. First, C is chosen. Second, C is compromise. And third, C is cheated. Okay? So first, C. God will save his chosen people. Second, C. God will not compromise. And third, C. God will not be cheated. Okay? Let's take them up one by one. First, God will save his chosen people. It's pretty self-explanatory. Exodus 8, 21 to 23. Can you guys read it out loud? people. Now, last week, uh, I mentioned uh, the finger of God. Okay, what does the finger of God represent? I said that the finger of God is a display of God's power and 
precision, exact, right? We see this truth in this fourth plague, how God was able to shield the Israelites from the swarms of flies. You know how hard that is to do? That's impossible to do, actually. Have you tried doing that in your house? Just tell the flies, okay, just stay in the garage. Don't come in here. Don't come to my kitchen. Just stay there. No way, man. And this is outdoors. This is like the whole land. God, you know, separated his people so much that he said to the flies, don't pass this line. Don't go into Goshen. That's how precise God is. The other thing we can see here is the fundamental truth about the salvation of God. God does not save because of some kind of merit that is found in human beings. I say that because not all the Israelites deserve to be saved. And not all the Egyptians were condemned with Pharaoh. You guys believe that? Not all the Israelites deserve to be saved. At the same time, not all Egyptians were condemned with Pharaoh. I would say that some of the Egyptians were also included in the Exodus as the slaves, right? Same principle applies in the final plague when God commanded the Israelites. What was the final plague again? Death of the firstborn. What did God say to the Israelites? Put this blood on the doorposts and the angel of death will pass over their house. Same principle in that final plague. When God commanded the Israelites to put the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their doorpost so that the angel of death will not take their first born. Now God never said that being an Egyptian or an Israelite will save them. What saves? Only the blood. So there could be Egyptians inside the homes of the Israelites with their firstborn, and they wouldn't be taken. Why? Because the blood is on the post of that house. And that's why I say that. Yeah, that's how God saves. It is exact. It is precise. Right? Um, the same is true with our salvation. I'm going to say this, God can and will save anyone. Let me say that again. God can and will save anyone, but not everyone. You guys get that? Those of you who are sleeping, do you guys get that? This is important. Like seriously, you don't sleep later. But listen to this one now. God can and will save anybody. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are. You can be saved if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by God's grace. But he's not going to save everybody. So important. Right? God has a chosen people to himself. And yes, the Israelites are God's chosen people in one sense, but that doesn't mean that God will only save them. Look at Ephesians 3, 1 to 6. Paul says, for this reason, I am a, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard the stewardship of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. What does it say there? How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written, written briefly. What's the mystery? And he's talking to the Gentiles, right? Four, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that what? The Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's God. How precise is God? Will all the Gentiles be saved? No. Same way that not all the Israelites will be saved. Romans 11, right? Only a remnant of them will be saved. Only those who have the blood of the Lamb in our in our 
case, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that this part of the story of Exodus is a pointer to that truth. When God set apart the Israelites from the Egyptians, it's God saving them from his wrath, even though they really did not deserve it based on how they behaved on the in the wilderness. When God saved the Israelites, it's not like they were all like just faithful to God the whole time. No way. We're going to see that as we go through the rest of the, the book. I'm going to read to you a comment again by Reichen, and I quote, In order to demonstrate his mercy and covenant love, God chose a people for himself. Out of all the nations, he set them apart, a people who had nothing to commend them and thus no claim upon his grace. He chose them because he chose them, and he loved them simply in order to love them. Theologians call this the doctrine of election. It means that God's grace is God's choice. People of God are not saved through any merit of their own, but by the sovereign purpose of God's electing will. On the basis of his own choice, God makes an absolute distinction between his people and everyone else. So God will save his chosen people. And we can rest assured that if you have faith, if you have that blood painted on the doorpost of your heart, you will be saved. You're not going to be perfect, but you will be saved. Amen to that? Okay, now you can go back to sleep. The rest is, you can miss it or you can listen. Uh, <laughs> second thing, second C. First is God saves his chosen. Next, God will not compromise. He will not Compromise. What does it mean to compromise? To compromise is to accept standards that are lower than is desirable. Okay? To accept standards that are lower than is desirable. So again, go back to the story. Even in desperation, Pharaoh still had the presence of mind to try to make a deal with Moses in order to keep the Israelites from leaving Egypt, even after everything he has seen and all the destruction he has experienced, Pharaoh's hard heart will not let him surrender to God. Again, read it again, 25. Pharaoh said to Moses, what? Go sacrifice within the land. And then after that, uh, when Moses said, no, we can't do it, there's going to be a riot, Pharaoh in 28 said, what? I'll let you sacrifice in the wilderness, but don't go far. He's trying to get a compromise out of Moses and the Israelites. God doesn't do that. God doesn't compromise. Because you see what Pharaoh's doing? He wants to. There's a saying that goes, you can't have your cake and eat it too. What does that saying mean? You can't, you can't have everything. <laughs> Pretty much. Right? Unfortunately, I was talking to my wife about this, this, this generation that, that we're in right now. People, our kids, they, all, they, don't, they don't need to, to, to wait anymore to get stuff. They get stuff right away. And they have so many options. They can pretty much have their cake and eat it too. That's what's happening right now. Right? In our, in our generation. They have so many options, they don't know what to, what to be. Am I this? Can I be that? I want to be that. But tomorrow I want to be something else. They have all kinds of options. They want their cake and eat it too. Fortunately, unfortunately, God does not compromise. God says what he means, and he means what he says. He doesn't change. He doesn't even change his mind can't bargain with God. You can't tell God, God, one more year. Yeah, I'll take my Christianity seriously next year. I have a friend like that. Let me get all the bad stuff out of me first. Let me sow my seeds first, and then I will commit to the church. <laughs> really? <laughs> Anybody here know when they're going to die? Anybody? Tell me the exact date. I'll be there. So how, how can we say that you know, next year I will take this seriously? Or next, next, next year. Next, 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 next. 
You can't say that. You could be dead today. <laughs> but people want to do that. They want to have their cake and eat it too. So they expect God to compromise. Don't kill me yet, Lord. I'm not married. I haven't experienced marriage yet. I haven't experienced this yet. I want No, God's not going to compromise. There's no bargaining when it comes to God. And again, this is displayed in the moral laws that is placed in every man's heart. You can go to any corner of the world taking somebody, somebody else's property, including their own life, is wrong. There is nowhere in this world that that is considered okay. There's no compromise when it comes to that. Um, there's no place on this earth where stealing and murder are acceptable. Unfortunately, our world is full of pharaohs trying to bargain and trying to get God to compromise. Uh, case in point, abortion. How is that, you know, related to this? Again, what is Pharaoh trying to do? Have his cake and eat it too. Okay, I'll tell get rid of the flies. I'll let you sacrifice, but you're still my slaves. Can't go far. He wants all of it, right? How does abortion play into that? Why? Because there are some women, pro-choice women, they want to enjoy the pleasures of sex, don't want the responsibility of children. Right? I want to have sex, but I don't want any kids. So when you get accidentally impregnated, what do they do? Us is abort. What is that, like a computer program? You just delete? They want to have their cake and eat it too. Right? That's, such, that's why it's such a difficult topic to begin with. Right? Because like Pharaoh, pro-choice people want to get their own way. So what do they do? They found a loophole. Oh, my body, my choice. That's pro-choice, right? My body, my choice. I have the right to do whatever I want with my body, including what's in it. Including the child. And this, I, I always hear this term, uh, unwanted. This child is unwanted. That's why I'm going to abort. It's an unwanted baby. Have you ever heard of the castle law in the States? You ever heard of the castle law in the States? In the castle law, uh, and I think this is, <laughs> it relates to the abortion issue. I'll get to it. But the castle law says that it is legal for a person to use force, sometimes even deadly force, in order to defend their castle, in order to defend their home from intruders. So if anybody came into my house and I have a gun, I have the right to shoot you if I didn't let you in, if you just intruded. Castle law in the church, in the, in the states, right? Here it doesn't, no, there's no castle law here. You can't just kill people that steps on your lawn. I wish I could, but <laughs> people keep stepping on my lawn. <laughs> Stop stepping on my lawn. <laughs> or if your dog poops there, pick it up, <laughs> you know. Um, unfortunately, yeah, we don't have castle laws here in, in Canada. But that sounds similar to my body, my choice, right? My body, my choice argument. There's an intruder in my body that I don't want there. So get rid of it. Kill it through abortion. But let me ask this question. Is that baby in the womb really unwanted? For most cases, no. Unless you were raped, okay? Let me say that. And we're not going to get into that, obviously, right now, not in the sermon. Unless you were raped. But for the most part, in most abortion cases, the cause of pregnancy is unintentional or unplanned. But that doesn't mean that the actual intercourse that happened to cause the pregnancy is also unintentional or unplanned. Because if it was, it would be rape. This means that most women who become pregnant got pregnant through consensual sex. You wanted that. 
So don't tell me you're going to get the pleasure of sex, and then when a baby is formed, I don't want the responsibility. Can't have your cake and eat it too at the cost of the life of the baby. Doesn't work that way. That's what fear is trying to do, right? That's what fear is trying to do because ultimately abortion, that issue, has nothing to do with the woman's right to do what she wants with her body. But it, it is about the perceived right of that woman to not take responsibility for her actions. Say it, record it, go ahead, play it on YouTube. I'll get in trouble for it, but whatever. I think that's what it is. You're so selfish. You want everything at the cost of a life. I think Pharaoh's doing the same thing. He's trying to compromise with Moses. Go sacrifice, but not to the extent that God wants them to. So in, in, in essence, this is what Pharaoh's trying to say to God. Okay? It's like telling God, these are not your people. They're still mine. Yeah, they can sacrifice to you all they want, but within the land or don't go very far. <laughs> Still my people, not yours. God's not, he's never going to, he's never going to stand for that. No way. <laughs> no way. He is God. Whatever he says goes. And Pharaoh, you don't have the power to do that. No, we don't have the power to do that. Which, um, which leads us to the next thing. So if God won't compromise, that means God will never be cheated. What did Moses say to Pharaoh? Only don't cheat again, right? Only don't cheat again by changing your mind. Pharaoh did this in the previous plague. He gave Moses his word and took it back. And then it led to the flies. Now he's doing it again. Sorry, Pharaoh. God will not be cheated. Or in other words, God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. Because after this plague, it will just get worse and worse for Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt. So when they asked God to get, away, get rid of the flies, God kept his word again. Right? And Pharaoh went back on his word again. But does that mean he got away with it? No. Ultimately, none of us can cheat God. And I've said this before as well. Difference between reputation and character. Your reputation is for the people here. People that look at you and watch you and see you. But you can't cheat God with your reputation. <laughs> you can have the reputation of a Christian. But if your character is not, God will not be mocked. You can go to church every Sunday. You can put on your clear Christian clothes, Christian faces. You can say the Christian language of bless you and amen, and I'll pray for you. You can do all that and pretend to be one, but God will not be cheated. He will not be mocked. He knows who we really are. So who cares what other thinks of us? As long as God knows who we really are, that's fine. But if we put that backwards, who cares what God thinks of me as long as everybody likes me? <laughs> you can't cheat God. You can't be in hell saying, well, at least the people at Glen Cairn think I'm in heaven. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Say that. <laughs> As long as they think that I'm in heaven, it's all good. God will not be mocked. So be careful of what you promise God. Be careful of the vows you make to God. If you have no intention of keeping it, then don't say anything. <laughs> That happened in Joshua, right? Before Joshua died, 
Joshua said to the Israelites, hey, you better renew your covenant with God. Why? Because you're living in the land where you're surrounded by pagans, Amorites. They're, all, they're in the promised land, but they're, they're still, they're still pagans around them, right? So Joshua said, renew your covenant with God. And then he said uh, that, that famous verse, um, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But if you look at the context of that verse, that's what Joshua's doing. He's telling the Israelites, renew your covenant. But I, you know what? No matter what you do, me and my house, we will serve. You want to follow my example? Go ahead. If you don't, fine. It's up to you. What did the Israelites say after Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? What did the Israelites say? We will. We will serve God. And then Joshua is like, no, you won't. <laughs> Don't be careful of the words that are coming out of your mouth. What all these vows that you think you're going to do? Don't just say it, you know, plainly Don't, and not take it seriously because God is listening, Right? So don't say, yeah, I'll go on diet. It's my wife. Yeah, I'm going to go on diet. And it's always on the Monday. Monday, I will go. And you don't do it. You're just fooling yourself. <laughs> You're just fooling yourself, right? And it's, it's okay to play with your diet like that, but don't play around with God like that. Yeah, Lord, after I, you know. After you get me over this COVID, I will be at church every Sunday. Lord, after you give me the job, after you do this, after you do that, I will do this. Be careful. God will not be cheated. Watch your words. Check out Ecclesiastes 5.5. 5. Yeah, see that? It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Um, I was, I was uh, joking with my dad. Uh, you know, when people get old, they, they tend to lose their, their memory. Right? Uh, well, no, it's, it's true, right? Uh, dementia, right? Sometimes people, they lose their memory. So I was telling my dad, okay, I'm going to watch for the signs. And then before it happens, I'm going to borrow money from you. <laughs> So, so, that, so that when the dementia hits, you forget. <laughs> you know what my dad said? I'll forget everything else, but I will always remember the people who owe me money. <laughs> it's better that you should not vow. Then you tell somebody, I'll borrow. When you say borrow, that means you're going to pay back. Then borrow and not pay. They'll remember. <laughs> God, God will remember. And the other one is in Matthew 12, 33 to 37. Matthew 12, 33 to 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good? When you are evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. Evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be... Huh? You think you can cheat God? You can try. <laughs> There's no cheating God. Be careful of every word you That's why I'm so, I don't say concerned or afraid for those people who commit to the Lord's work. When it comes to being leaders and, you know, right, youth leaders. Meanwhile, they give whatever is left over. Lord, I'm going to commit to teaching Sunday school. Or I'm going to commit to teaching youth. When you ask them, how much time do you t does it take you to prepare? To actually prepare for this. Uh, you know, on my drive to church. Really? <laughs> you, you vowed that you were going to do this. 
and you don't do it, be careful. God will take in account, into account every careless word that we speak. That's why it's, it's dangerous to stand up here. Um, everybody's listening, not just God. I can say this to Alvin, Alvin, last time we were here, <laughs> somebody from the States commented on the feed <laughs> asking a question. And I'm like, what? They actually listened to the whole thing. That's what it is with God, listening to every word we speak. So if you make a vow, what? Do it. Or don't make a vow at all. If you think you're going to cheat God, you can't. Ananias and Sapphira tried. What happened? Dead. I said this before. If that was true in our church, oh man, the deacons would be, uh, would be always carrying dead bodies out. Oh, another one who said that they were going to keep their word, and they never did. So be careful. Be careful of the words we let go. God will not be cheated. Um, and God not be cheated. What's the second one? God will not compromise. So don't even try deal with God. No. Don't even try bargain with him. He will not be cheated, and he won't compromise. But he will save his chosen. Amen? We're going to end the message there for now. We're going to take the rest when I'm, come, when I'm back the week after next. Because next week is Mother's Day. We celebrate our moms. Um, so next week, uh, we'll have Mother's Day in celebration of Mother's Day. There will be a Mother's Day message. Um, but when we come back, we'll take the next two plagues. The death of the livestock and the boils. Uh, so I hope to see you here again. Amen. Let's pray.